0: Hello, peace lovers and peacemakers. This is Sarah Jamshidi. You are watching Peace Mindedly. If you are listening to the podcast, you are listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show where I feature peaceful bridge makers. I feature my guests on Facebook and YouTube under Peace Talk with Sarah. I'm live streaming the conversation because I want to hear from you. It's very important for me to have the interaction with my audience. So your comments, questions, and interactions is very, very important to me. I have my assistant producer and one of the editors for Golden News, Mateen, Martin Rokhsefat. So I have a very special and good news for you. Mateen defended her PhD in Islamic studies just recently from Toronto University, and she's officially Dr. Rokhsefat. Salam, mateen <laughs> Salam, Sarajan. Thank you so much for that. Of course, of course. And then Martin is going to monitor the conversation and bring them into my attention. For this hour, we are talking with Anila Afzali and Terry Kylo. Anila is Executive Director of MAPS AMEN, American Muslim Empowerment Network. She is a Harvard Law School graduate. She left her legal career to serve as an interfaith justice and advocate. She serves in many, many leadership positions in Washington State, including a board member of the Faith Action Network and Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network. Anila had received many awards for her work and leadership positions, including American Muslim of the Year from CARE, Council on American Islamic Relations, and Rising Brand Star from Adwick. Terry Kylo is a Lutheran pastor. He's executive director for Paths to Understanding, Bringing Bias and Building Unity. Terry is the founder of Neighbors in Faith. He established a non-profit organization to address Islamophobia. Terry has learned that when we forget how to recognize other humans, we lose parts of our own humanity. When I was reading and preparing myself for this show, and came across um, many of the amazing statements that Terry has made, his work, and how he conducts his own. Uh, professional leadership in different positions, reminded me of a very dear line in Saadi's uh, poem. Saadi is a Persian poet, and this line is basically has been picked up with many scholars, many philosophers, and in fact has been carved out in a United Nations entrance door. So the line is, I'm going to say it in Farsi, and then I'm going to translate it in English. It says, the humans are parts of one body, created from one spirit. If one part is in pain, the rest of the body is ill. And in fact, we are going to talk about how we can heal or perhaps uh, take steps towards healing of the body that it has has been ached in the United States after George Floyd's killing. Terry's leadership has been recognized by Faith Action Network, the Muslim Association of Puget Sound, and Lutheran School of Theology. Here I'm welcoming Anila and Terry. Hello, hello. Hello Sarah, thank you for having us. Very good. Uh, hello, Terry.
1: Hello, Sarah. it's great to be with you.
0: Excellent. So I know that you two know each other really, really well. You've been working together and having the workshops and speeches and all of those for almost about four years. So I want to know what really bothers you about the other persons, if you wanted to criticize one point. So what are those? So Terry, I'm going to start with you.
1: Oh my, this is such a tremendously delicious opportunity to, to share something about my sister. But Anila, I, I will say two things. First of all, Anila speaks sometimes a little too fast. And, and so people have a little hard time c- catching up to her. And we've talked about that many times. But, but the other issue for Anila that is simply that she works too hard and sometimes she doesn't sleep enough and so has to eat, drink a lot of coffee. So every time we have an event I, and I get there first, I have to make sure that there's coffee available for Anila. But those are—that's as far as I can go. I mean, that's it right there.
0: Okay. Okay. Excellent. That—that's it. That's all you can tell about Anila.
1: <clears throat> that is it. You know, she—she she also has a, a real capacity for self-critique. She—she she really can critique herself very hard sometimes, uh, but that also drives her to learn.
0: Yes. And
1: um and 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 there have been times when she has shared with me some things that I need to change, uh, but that didn't bother me because it was always spoken in love.
0: Okay, Anila, what are those things that you've told Terry that he needs to improve?
2: <laughs> well, the, the, the great thing is about uh, working with, um, with my dear brother, Reverend Terry, is that we always learn from each other. So doing these, uh, we're both very hard on ourselves. So we're constantly asking after every talk we give, after every event we do, we're like, Did, you know, there, th- was that okay? And, and we both have this self critique aspect of it, where we're always like, uh, I wish I said this, or I didn't do this right, or, or that. So uh, we, we bounce off on each other in that way. And sometimes it's helpful, because we are able to come up with, uh, you know, appropriate suggestions for the future to improve. Other times, I think we're both hard on ourselves. So I don't think it's just, me, dear brother. But, but I do appreciate the fact that Terry is willing to listen to feedback and talk about how we can implement that. I appreciate having a, a leader and a brother and an ally who stands with me and is able to reach people in ways that I may not be able to do so.
0: Anil, uh, I'm not going to let you go. You're, you're going to share with me.
2: <laughs> you're going to share with mind- me. You want something negative about Terry? I mean, he he always beats me to things. He shows up, you know, early always. And I'm always, you know, on time, as in exactly on time, So or a little bit late. Uh, so he's always ahead of me in that sense. He's He does a lot of the admin stuff, the organizational stuff. And it's always like, ah, I wish I had time for that. So, so he seems to constantly be beating me in a lot of that. And, and I have a pretty competitive spirit. So I'm like, ah, he's always there ahead of me.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yes. Excellent. So, yeah, in fact, he was so so super on time, not only on time, ahead of time today for the program. Really appreciate that. Um, We have a good start, but uh, I want us to take back to something that is happening in the country that it's really meaningful at the same time, really heartbreaking. As I explained, I mean, we are the parts of one human body. And then what's happening is really um, frustrating for many of us. So I wanted to see, in your opinion, what you think that white people can do constructively to use their power and their privilege constructively to address this issue. Terry, I'm going to start with you.
1: So I think the very first thing that that white people like myself need to do is to recognize that racism is our problem. Uh, Many people have said it, uh, Toni Morrison and others, But honestly, racism is white people's problem. And so often white people look at black and brown skinned people when they express the negative impacts of racism that they experience. And we look at them as if it's their problem and they should fix it. And so honestly, the first thing that white people need to do is to recognize that it's our problem. Number two, I think we need to learn to listen and to engage the kind of compassion that I know that many of us are capable of and thirdly we need to move off out of our rooms eventually when covid-19 uh, ends but we need to stop our passivity in the face of the violence and the injustice that is happening toward our sisters and brothers who are human beings as we are and we need to stop being so passive and just shaking our heads and and feeling bad we need to we need to be willing to to go out into the public space talk with our political leaders and be willing to stand up and create space for people uh, who are of black and brown skin, people of different cultures so that their voices can be heard and then together make make systemic and institutional change together.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good and Anila.
2: Yeah, I I want to start by recognizing and appreciating and uplifting the poem that you shared in the beginning. Prophet Muhammad also in sort of the Islamic tradition peace be upon him taught us that very same idea that uh, that the community the ummah is one and when one part of the body hurts the other parts feel it. And I know I myself have been feeling it so many of us have been feeling it in the past week even more so than usual where we have been you know grieving mourning. I've had difficulty processing everything that's happening. I've had Difficulty breathing at times, even just like George Floyd said he can't breathe, you know, in his final moments at that sorrowful call that he was making. So, so it's it's something that we are feeling as a nation. Uh, I want to say in terms of what white people in particular can do. Uh, But before I get to that, I want to say this also applies to all non-Black people. Uh, We don't get a pass uh, simply because we're not white, because oftentimes anti-Black racism and colorism exists within communities of color as well. So I do want to acknowledge that. But what what white people. People in particular can do. In addition to what Terry said, I would say specifically making sure uh, white people educate themselves. It is not the burden or the responsibility of people of color, of our black sisters and brothers, to be the ones who have to spend that emotional time and labor unpaid to educate white people or non-black people like myself. We have a duty and responsibility. And it's so easy right now because we have so many resources at our fingertips, resources that Black people in particular have spent so much time creating for white people. So we should not be going and expecting our Black siblings to be teaching us about things that we should already know. So that's number one. Like no, no person of color should have to explain why they their humanity should be, you know, recognized by a non non-black person. Number two, I would say it's really important for white people in particular to recognize that they have the privilege and they can put their lives, their bodies, their voices on the line at this time, you know, especially if they haven't been there before. Come into the movement. We need white people. We need people to use their privilege to be able to affect change in this time, but we also need them to be willing to show up and put their bodies on the line, use their platforms, whatever platform they may have, whatever, uh, whether it's social media, whether it's in newspapers, whether it's in uh, church newsletters, whatever it is, use whatever platform they have to not, not try to educate people of color or black people, educate other white people. We need white people to be educating their own communities because, as Terry said, this is not a black problem. Racism is not a person of color problem, necessarily. It is a white person problem and, and acknowledging the white supremacy behind that and being willing and able to use the language around white supremacy, Christian supremacy that we're also seeing and other forms of privilege and supremacy and calling them out as sins
0: because yes. that is what they as sins as diseases of the heart so whether or not we want recognize it it is it is power it is privilege that white people have and One of the frustrations over from the Black community is as Anila said, don't don't teach us, just be part of this. So, what are the tangible like one, two, three? You just mentioned, but I want us to give us like three actions that you think white people need to take, and probably three. Actions of understanding that the people of color need to uh, incorporate to receive those those help. Terry, I go with Terry, and then after after that, Anila.
1: Okay, so so first of all, I mean this is a, a, a very complicated subject. So first, we have to recognize that that as so as a person, as a white person, as I began to recognize and to be an ally for the American Muslim community. Um, You have to be prepared as a white person to receive a lot of negative feedback, Uh, some of it from your family, some of it from your friends, um, perhaps even from your faith community. And you have to be willing to engage that. But we need to see that negative negative feedback you're going to get, that conflict as an opportunity. And so when people in my family or people in, in my friendship groups would say, hey, Terry, I'm not sure about what you're doing, it was an opportunity for me to say to them why it mattered to me and why standing with American Muslims reflected my deepest values and reflected the deepest values of of the Abrahamic traditions and specifically Christianity, of which I am part. So we have to see conflict as an opportunity. Number two, I believe we need to create space publicly for voices uh, for people of color, and I've done a lot of that with the American Muslim community around Washington State, is to create spaces where people can meet folks, Spaces where people can can hear the stories, positive stories about American Muslims and begin to recognize the fear that has captured their heart. Third, I think we need to use our organizational strength as faith communities in whatever kind of community we're part of and begin to take that conversation into the public with public figures, with political leaders, with police chiefs, with mayors, with city council people, because this last summer we had a noose that was hung in Anacortes. And many of the city council people looked to the African-American city council person who brought this to their attention as if it was his problem. But when I showed up with my collar on and my suit, and I said, this is our problem and we need to work on this because it's vital to our living as a community, then something changed. Now, eventually, I hope we can get to the place where every human being is listened to. But for right now, I have to recognize that I have to use my power and privilege to be able to create that space. But then I also have to recognize, and I'm sorry to go on so long, but when it's time for me to step back, Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that Sister Anila and I have worked so hard to do, is that there are moments when she needs to answer, there's moments when I need to answer, and and we have to know, we have to kind of like learn uh, when's the best time to do that so that she can be heard. And not so that I can be in the center.
0: So Anila, in that sense, what do you think that the Muslim community needs to do perhaps to receive this kind of help that Terry is talking about?
2: Well, the the Muslim community, I want to start by recognizing how diverse it is. There are white people, there are black people, there are brown people, and you know, every shade. So there is a lot of diversity. And within the Muslim community, the American Muslim community, we do have African American Muslims, we do have black immigrant Muslims. So we should absolutely listen to those voices. And importantly, bridge some of the gaps, some of the tribalism, some of the, you know, divisions that might exist within these various communities, because we are supposed to be one body, one ummah, one united sort of front in in combating especially these forms of injustice that exist in the world. So I want to recognize that what what Muslim communities can and should be doing in response to this is raising awareness, is building coalitions with the African American community, Muslim or not, uh, is calling out the racism or colorism within our own communities, is making sure that we are active there with our African American siblings, standing in solidarity calling out uh, police brutality you know if you look at the statistics i think it's so important for us to actually know and educate ourselves on the statistics about racism in our own country Because Can you tell
0: for- me do you do you know some of those statistics
2: sure sure i will tell you that in 2019 there were only 27 days where police did not kill somebody out of the entire year 27 days You know, if you look at the fact that between 2013 and 2019, when police have killed people, when officers were involved, they were not never between uh, 2013 and 2019, in 99% of the cases, they were never charged with a crime. Never. And, you know, here in Washington state, for instance, we did pass police accountability, the deescalate Washington bill. But it hasn't been fully implemented. We need to call for full implementation of that. So in terms of specific steps that you were asking for before, we need to all be calling for that kind of full implementation of that bill, the deescalate Washington bill and its provisions that specifically called for de-escalation and making sure that deadly force is not used by police uh, in, in any instance unless it is you know the extremely rare instance and it's entirely justifiable.
0: What do do we need? So tell me, I am a housewife and I'm staying in my uh, kids and I really want to do something. What do I need to do to support that bill? So contact
2: your state representatives and let them know. How to
0: find the state representative?
2: Uh, Can I share a link for that? If you go to the Washington state legislature, there's a little Uh finder that you you can use to identify who your representatives are and your state senators are. You can contact them and say you are you deeply care about police accountability and de-escalation of Washington state. And you want to take action to make sure that they do their part to fully implement the bill and also You know, find the individual instances. There are instances of racism happening all the time. Right now, I'm working on a situation where the Department of Corrections retaliated against a Black Muslim mother and her daughters for speaking out about COVID-19 conditions inside prisons and inside facilities like the Reynolds Work Release Program you know if if you can hear about these instances and i'm happy to share them with you, Sara, so that your audience uh can have these opportunities if we can call the governor our representatives uh the department of corrections secretary sinclair let them know we care about these issues and we demand justice for these individual instances, recognizing that they are so connected to the bigger, you know, the, the, the whole picture.
0: What you are explaining is very important. And sometimes we just undermine this this important issue that you are mentioning, because pressure is important for state legislatures and for people in the politics. I would like to play, Martin brought uh, into my attention, the co- cooperative work between white uh, allies and marginalized groups is so important as whites we need to selflessly put ourselves on the line and then step back and serve. Well said, uh, Reverend Kylo. So um, I have talked with Steve and he's very familiar with the work that you two do so I would like your feedback about what he just uh, shared
1: well I just I just want to add that that I I think there is an, an element of selflessness in it but it is also in the self interest of white people to work to help our society become more just for everyone it is not just for for someone else it is for my children and my my daughters and my family and my friends because as Anila says so often when we speak if the fire is starting to to burn in her brother's bedroom right next door to her she can't ignore it because pretty soon it's going to to come to hers and that's a a metaphor for how disruption how injustice begins to eat away at civil society it begins to make people you know so incredibly frustrated and and hopeless that that things begin to shift for them in a way that 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 makes peace less possible for all of us so this is about how all of us are going to live together and what kind of society we want to live in together. And I want to say that doing the the work of an ally has not been a burden to me. It has been an incredible blessing and it's helped me find my humanity. So this work is not just for others. It is also for me and it's also for the God that created me.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. And Anila, what is your feedback about what Steve said, selflessness and put ourselves online. I
2: appreciate Steve's comments and and the work that he has done, and absolutely, I think we need to do that. I need to I think if we understood history, uh, there's there's often a lack that many of us have about our own history of, uh, as a country. But if we understood history, we would know that every time we've seen sort of actual progress, it's been because there have been these multiracial coalitions of white people, black people, brown people coming together and creating change. In fact, in the 1800s, you know, with, with the ending of slavery, uh, we had that coalition of people coming together to end that. And we had many positive bills that were passed. And in fact, there was even talk at that time of Frederick Douglass, a black man, becoming president because of that coalition of white people and black people coming together and standing for justice. But there's always that backlash from people who don't want that, who want us separated and divided. So there was a backlash and the backlash, part of the backlash was the creation of the KKK. And the targets of the KKK initially were actually white people who were working with black people. And we had the same kind of backlash after the civil rights movement, where once again, we had this coalition of people from all backgrounds coming together, standing united and fighting for justice and combating racism in our country. And there was the backlash with the Southern strategy. So we are seeing this happen throughout history, because when we do have these movements that are multiracial, multi-faith, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, they can have... very, very impactful, positive change. And that's what I'm hoping to see. And that's what I'm hoping that this moment turns into is that kind of real movement that we've already seen people from all backgrounds coming together, standing up and showing up in the streets. And if we're talking about putting our bodies on the line, I want to see more white people following the lead of black leaders, but willing to put themselves there because oftentimes, unfortunately, as a country, police treat white protesters very differently from black protesters or people of color protesters. So the more white allies we can have who show up and follow the lead of the black leaders, it's very important because not not go do your own separate event, not call for something different. Make sure you're following the lead of those you are claiming to want to help and following their lead take action, but be willing to show up because we need more white allies to protect the safety of all of us.
0: Before we go to the next part, I really want to know, so what? Why do we need peace, understanding, kindness? I mean, why do we need any of those? Because we are people that want a just, humane world
2: for us and our future generations to live in. If we don't stand up and speak out against injustice right now, that injustice will directly affect us. Many of us oftentimes are privileged where some kind of injustice in another part of the world or another part of the country doesn't directly involve us. And just because it's not it's, it's not personally affecting us in a way that we can see, we are able, we have the privilege of stepping away and not taking action. But that only lasts for so long. Injustice, exactly as, as Terry said, I say this all the time, that injustice in one place, it's like a fire and it is going to burn down our house if we don't all step up and take action to put out these fires. We're going to see it in violence. We're going to see it not just violence in the streets, but also from the state, you know, governmental violence. We already had uh, President Trump make certain statements about sending military out, and we've already seen a militarization, an increase in the militarization of police and the kind of actions that they have taken in the past, you know, decade or so. So we are all going to be hurt by that physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every single way, we're gonna be affected by that. And I also wanna point out something that I think is so critical. We need to stop looking at these system. I, I'm sorry, we need to start looking at systems and not individuals, whether it's ourselves or somebody else. I don't care if somebody says, oh, I'm not a racist or, oh, that person is not a racist or is a racist. I care less about that individual than I do about the system of racism. And every single one of us are part of the system of racism, whether we want to be or not. You know, it's it's on as the same way that I I talk about Islamophobia. Uh, It it affects all of us. We are in this system where it is built into or as part of the system. So we're all participating in some way. The question is, are we recognizing that and are we taking action to step up as an anti-racist? you know, what are we doing? How are we acting as an anti-racist, not just, oh, I'm not a racist. I'm tired of having that conversation. Let's talk about creating real systemic change and use this crisis as a opportunity to be able to create that kind of change that we all want to see.
0: Not only here, but also in in India. Oives Aslam says glad things of peace and unity from India. So Terry, why the heck do we need to have peace, compassion and kindness?
1: Well, so for, as a from the perspective of a person of faith and a faith leader, you know, one theologian has said that the whole purpose of the Abrahamic tradition is to help human beings understand what it takes for humans and human community and for the earth to thrive. So the, the point of the whole thing is to help life happen. And I know as a person growing up, if I had a chaotic household and I didn't have enough food to eat and if I didn't have an education and if, if, if my if my neighborhood was violent... I would not have been able to thrive. So really, this uh, this conversation about peace is about how we help ourselves, our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and the whole earth to be able to live, to be able to thrive together. And that is so important. It's worth risking for, because that's what I believe love is. Love is about risking ourselves so that we and our neighbors and the earth can be what God intends it to be and and so it's just it's all about how we protect life the life that the, the, that the creator has given us this planet is perhaps one of the only or few planets in the in the universe that has life that is worth risking to protect and to enhance
0: Exactly. Oives Aslam also agrees with you to to protect the humanity. Please stay with me. You are watching to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show I feature peaceful bridge makers. There is a chance that you are listening to the program as well. In this case, I have to tell you that we are live streaming our conversation here on Facebook and on YouTube. So when you hear me reading comments or uh, reading questions other than mine. It's because of this live interaction that I have with the viewers and audience here on the program. For our next episode, I'm talking to three wise moms who wrote a book to their daughters. They really wanted to tell them stories of life and wisdom indirectly. They decided to put them in a book. Aisha Juman, Connie Cooper Shepherd, Natalie Thompson will talk to me about their book. Like myself, they have one thing in common. All have one daughter. I'm sure I'm going to learn a great deal from these three wise moms. After that, I am for for the next week I'm talking with Rebecca Johnson. Dr. Johnson is a peace activist in nuclear disarmament. We are going to discuss ways in which we could secure the world through diplomacy and not through the armed conflict. I'm really looking forward to the discussion because Iran's nuclear program and nuclear um, disarmament is something that uh, I care deeply about can find this program and uh, other interviews on peace mindedly podcast we are available on apple Podcasts and iTunes, google podcast on google play iheart radio and on many other podcast platforms i think in total it's about eight podcast platforms that we send out at uh, this program so when you go there please do subscribe we want your your support For this hour, I'm talking with Anila Afzali and Terry Kyla. Anila is the Executive Director of the American Muslim Empowerment Network at the Muslim Association of Puget Sound. She serves as a governing board member of the Faith Action Network. Anila is selected... As one of the most influential people by Seattle Magazine, she is awarded many times for her work and leadership stance. Terry Kylo is a pastor and author of two books, Being Human, The Image of the Serving God and Apprenticeship, Embracing Life and Practicing Humanity in the Way of Jesus. Terry is recipient of Faith Action Network Interfaith Leadership Award in 2016. Terry and Anila work together to empower the sense of humanity we all have within us. They are using religion to achieve that goal. And I am wondering, why do we need religion? What about people who are not believing God or they are just, you know, just Put the God into some some place and do not want to do anything with God. So, why religion? I mean, can't people with no religion be also fighting for peace and justice? Uh, Anila? Uh,
2: Absolutely. You don't need religion to be taking action right now. People of faith and those without faith can and should be coming together to take action as human beings, as people of ethical and moral value, and as we were talking about before, for our own self-interest, protecting and preserving ourselves and our future generations. So there's, there's no faith or religious requirement per se for people to be involved in these issues. At the same time, for people who do come from a faith background, I think it is our faith oftentimes that drives us to do what we are doing. So for me, I know as a Muslim who had a spiritual transformation and came back to the religion, the more I've learned about Islam, the more absolutely clear and firm I am in my understanding. Understanding that Islam commands us, so the Quran says this very clearly: you are commanded to stand for justice, stand firmly for justice, even if it's against yourself. We have all of these teachings about love and compassion and mercy and being involved in the community and bringing benefit to society. And my faith, at least, gives me that extra strength and that extra ability to have the patience, the love, and compassion, despite many of the injustices I may see. And it gives me purpose to actually take action
0: in response to these injustices taking action taking action so people are asking what action tell me about actions and i'm going to go to terry
2: so MAPS Amen, the organization that I run, is actually going to be issuing an action call later today so that will have a complete set of action steps that people can take. But some of them specifically, in addition to the self-education that we talked about, in addition to uh, reading books like uh, from uh, Ibram Kendi about how to be an anti-racist and l- learning from the resources out there, I would say specifically... what what folks can do on this issue of police accountability and racism uh, specifically. Uh, Tomorrow morning at 8.15, there is a press conference talking about the Seattle Police Department and the excessive use of force and the consent decree that exists there. So people can watch that press conference and learn and hear from the voices of those most impacted. Number two, there's a press conference Thursday morning at 10.30 a.m., again, in the Seattle area that is gonna be talking specifically about the case I mentioned before with the Department of Corrections and the Reynolds Six, the six individuals who were retaliated against in a way that we're seeing anti-Black racism, Islamophobia, xenophobia all come together. Uh, Number three, folks can make sure that they are holding our police and our mayors accountable for the response to peaceful protesters. And they can show up in solidarity if they feel comfortable. Uh, I, I, I recognize we are in a global pandemic, so I understand if people need to stay home, and that's okay. That's appropriate as well. There are other ways they can take action even from their homes. They can share live streams of what is happening. They can help make sure that the message of the peaceful protesters is what is actually heard instead of the distraction that we're often seeing with some forms of media, which turned uh, you know to some individuals who are distractors or infiltrators or, you know, people who are agitators or opportunists, rather than looking and focusing at them and, and, you know, rushing to judgment about them, let's focus on the actual justice issues that are at stake here and raise awareness and keep the focus firmly on that.
0: You do not to be religious.
2: Exactly. You do not need to be religious to do any of those things.
0: Yes. Terry, so Liz is saying thank you for asking about non-religious activists. So what? I mean, so what? I mean, someone who doesn't believe in God. Can, can she be or he be a, an activist or peace activist and peace lover?
1: So with, with my organization Paths to Understanding, we're using the term instead of religion um, or faith tradition, we're using the term wisdom tradition. And we explicitly include atheists and agnosticism and humanists in the definition of what a wisdom community or wisdom tradition is. And so, and so, we we honor and respect the questions and the ethical deliberation that takes place in those communities. And I think have a lot in common with all with all other wisdom traditions in the world. You know, when when Jesus had the end of the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew twenty five. Uh, there's this image of the of the great judgment, kind of a great truth-telling day. And in that truth-telling, it was not about religious belief, or or even belief in God. Um, the, the 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 test for whether or not someone was deemed to be f- a good human being um, was if they cared for the poor, the sick. They gave water to the thirsty. They gave food to the hungry. They they visited people in prison. They stood for justice. I do want to say, though, in Western society, we have a lot of scapegoating that happens very lazily of people of wisdom traditions. And there are some good reasons for for critique of wisdom traditions. Don't get me wrong. The the, the whole uh, doctrine of discovery uh, that said that it was okay for Christian nations to kill, maim, and destroy people of color and to take their lands is a lot of the reason why we're here today. But it is also true that people of religious conviction, because they loved a God who had created everyone were able to recognize other people as human and who went out of their way consistently. And there are many people of religious faith today who go out of their way to to recognize uh, the humanity of other people and to work for the common good. But I I just wanna say it's really important to recognize that there are important contributions of atheists and agnostics to this conversation. And, And we don't have to judge ourselves or exclude anybody on the basis of those differences.
0: Yes. So Les is saying wisdom tradition is so loving. Thank you. Wow. So here is uh, here is my question. I I covered politics forever. I know um, politicians and everything. So in 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 the White House, uh, what happened? Okay. Can you hear me fine? Yes. There is an echo, and I don't know where this came from. Okay. So. Hold on a second. I don't know. So anyway, so I'm just gonna do my best. Sorry. So in the White House, there is about uh, 900 to 1,000 people, like appointees to the president, and these people are available on 24/7. And some of them are experts and people who understand particular issues and understand things very deep and uh, have it, have a knowledge. And then I'm asking, let's say that you two are one of those two appointees and have been summoned to the White House, and you are going to give your advice and comments to the president of what to do and how to handle this crisis.
1: Well, I would, I would say to the president that, um, that in the Gospel of John, it says the light shines in the darkness. The light shines where there's gloom, where there's an absence of absence of light. And that I would encourage the president to go and meet with uh, George Floyd's family in the place where George, George Floyd uh, died. And that the president should kneel down at that spot for a moment of national prayer. Because when if, if we had a president right now, Mr. President, if you would sit down and kneel down with that family, and lead all of us in grief for his death and for the murder that has happened to so many African-Americans and to other people of color at the hands of people who were called to serve and protect them. That all this violence would stop and that people would be able to recognize that their grief and their pain and their humanity has been recognized. Mr. President, you have to go to Minnesota. You have to go to that spot and you need to kneel down and you need to listen to that family. You need to honor everyone's grief and pain. And then you need together with people of color, with 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 smart legal, act, legal uh, scholars around the country, with public activists, sit down and chart a new course for public policing in this nation. And if you do that today, Mr. President, our nation will begin a journey toward peace.
0: I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anila, so what would you tell to the president if you've been summoned to advise him?
2: Yeah, Terry said actually some of the exact same ideas that I had. It is so important to acknowledge the grief, the pain, and the reality of police violence in our country, and in general, state violence against individuals, and especially Black people and people of color. So I think that's such an incredible and important step is to acknowledge the pain and to do it in person with the families directly impacted. And I was even thinking exactly taking a knee in that place as well. Uh, So I fully agree with what Terry has said, I would just add to it that in addition to that, uh, what what I would love to see and I would advise the president to do is to actually have a reconciliation committee or advisory team or council or some kind of task force created to look at this issue in a very in-depth way, in a very proactive way about how can we as a nation heal? because we still have not seen any kind of reparations uh, or you know uh, apology even for what has happened for over 400 Hundred years in our country. And if we can have something like what South Africa had, a truth and reconciliation uh, committee or, or task force to actually look at this and address this in a way that can see real change coming out, I think that would go miles in terms of creating change in our country and addressing some of the racial injustices and racial tensions. So that's what I would advise a president to do. I would also say stop trying to use, you know. Bibles as props or churches or places of worship as props, Uh, let's engage in real conversation in a way that's healing and comes from a place of love, not from a place of violence, like with the military and otherwise.
0: At the end of the program, I ask my guests to close the program with something meaningful about peace, about kindness, about compassion. And I wanted to see if you could please share a prayer statement or something that you think we should take with with us after the program. So I'm just opening. Who would like to take this first? Go, Terry.
1: So I, I just want to state from, as I've often said at public gatherings, that that the whole point of their the idea of that there's one creator is is to help us recognize other people as human and that the key value of the abrahamic tradition in fact the key value of god in that tradition is that the deepest meaning of our life is to be a blessing to all the nations and peoples and cultures of the world it is okay to have a tradition it is okay to have a community but when the values of that community are just simply us versus them. No matter how many songs you sing, no matter how many prayers you you offer, it, we really are betraying the, the core values of God, the one who helps us to see all people as human, when we fail to act in ways that honor the humanity of people of different traditions or races or religions. And I would just offer this prayer slightly modified, actually, uh, the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is passivity, let me model action. Where there is gloom, let me bring your light. O Master, let me not not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to love as to love, for it is in giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. It is in dying that one is raised to eternal life.
2: That is so beautiful, Terry. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I would just add that from my perspective, what I, what I was going to share was something that I use to, to find comfort in these difficult times. Because I will say that, like as I said at the beginning, I have had a lot of difficulty the past week, uh, just even breathing at times and processing and being able to continue doing the work when there seems to be this tidal wave of injustice. Uh, and and as, as I mentioned before, the Quran does command uh, believers to stand firmly for justice, even if it's against ourselves. And we are taught the value and sanctity of individual human lives lives by the quran telling us that you know killing one person uh, unjustly is like killing all of humanity and saving one life is like saving all of humanity. And, and that, I, I take that very personally. And there's constant teachings about uh, standing for justice and having patience and perseverance through that form of injustice and taking action to make a difference. But the the, the piece that I wanted to share is, is from chapter 94 of the Quran. Uh, and again, the reason that I am choosing this is because it is something that I use to, to find Comfort, and it's actually called Comfort. Uh, that's the name of the uh, the chapter. So I'll go ahead and read it and add some a uh, little bit of explanation. So it says, in the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful, have we not lifted up your heart and removed your burden that weighed so heavily on your back? And have we not given you high renown? So surely with every hardship, there is ease. Surely with every hardship, there is ease. So when you are free, strive hard and to your lord turn all your attention and the reason i chose that is because this idea that even with these difficult times even with the difficulties the struggles that we constantly face in life there is ease and the ease that i find is is in the solidarity we are seeing, in the humanity coming together and challenging injustice, in the support that we are giving to each other, community stepping up and helping each other. I get to see and experience that kind, those manifestations of love and kindness and compassion and solidarity on the front lines on a regular basis. So that is the ease that comes even with the hardship that yes, times can be hard, yes, times can be difficult, and we are going to face those struggles. But at the end of the day, we have the capacity to step up and do something and help each other. We might not be able to change the whole system overnight or even in our lifetime. But the little bit that we do helps move things forward for our future. The little bit that we do, coupled with the little bit that you do and you do and you do, people from all faith backgrounds, all you know, racial backgrounds, genders, s- sexual orientation, any of that stuff. If we can all come together and do our little part, we can have a different world.
0: Inshallah. Stay with me, Anila. You are watching and you are listening to Peace Mindedly. A podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. You can find Reverend Terry Kylo's book on Amazon, and please visit his website, Path to Understanding, Bridging Bias and Building Unity. Anila Afzali is available everywhere in Washington, where there is a talk about peace and reaching out to people kindly. Her website is mapsredmond.org/amen. A M I post the the site and everything on on Facebook and also on Goldtoon. Goldtoon is a website I manage with a group of international foreign correspondents. This podcast program goes under goldtune.com. Thank you so much, everyone, to stay with me and for this program. I just wanted to open up if there is any last thoughts that you would like to share with us.
1: Well, first of all, Sarah, I'm just so thankful to be on the show with you today. And anytime I can be on a conversation with Anila, I'm always, I'm always so pleased. And so many of the names uh, of the of the listeners are, are known to me, and I, I love them all. You know, we don't have to live this way. There is a, a cry in the middle of my heart that we do not have to live this way. We can all take part in helping to to um, make real the Creator's dream. That we would live with one another in peace. But in the middle of that, and this is a, a little thing I have in my office by Rabbi Tarfan Pirke Avot, who said, Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. You are not obligated to complete the work, neither are you free to abandon it. And so for me, trust is being willing to risk, you know, in this context, my life and, and my time and my effort and even and even my body. Um to, to live out the, the creator's dream and to make a small contribution to it.
0: Excellent. We have a few minutes to go. Anila, is there anything you would like to share? The last minute?
2: Yeah, I also want to say thank you so very much, Sara, for having us, Mateen, for your work in this, uh, and of course, my dear brother Terry, it's always an honor to get to stand with him and with others who are active in this space, really standing for justice and doing our part. Uh, I also want to sort of uplift or recognize there is a Poor People's Campaign, which is following in the tradition of Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, uh, and I think that's an excellent opportunity or way. Uh, it is led by Reverend William Barber. so. If folks can also follow the Poor People's Campaign that will give additional opportunities and ways for people to take action uh, uh, following sort
0: of the lead of some of those great faith leaders. Yes, very good, very well said. Zahra Islami says congratulations to Mateen and Thank also you. Steve says congratulations to Mateen. Thank you so, so much. So yes, Mateen helped me out to put the program together. I'm sure that as a Islamic scholar And also, as a scholar, she has a lot to share. I wonder if you would like to share anything here or you prefer that I do a specific program with you later on. It's all up to you. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm just happy to be part of this uh, discussion. And I love listening to uh, Terry and Anila. And I think everyone has a responsibility these days. I mean, everyone has access to social media and... Uh, It would be great for people to, I mean, I'm trying to do my my small part of trying to propagate information about what's happening and about resources and things we can do. And uh, Anila has posted some resources and and information that we will later put on our Facebook and in the comments section. So thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Well said. I really appreciate for everyone to be here. Khuda hafiz. Khuda hafiz. Bye. Thank you.
1: Mm